our lack of faithfulness. Um, and we thank you for your great steadfast love that never fails. Lord, I pray that your love would move for many this morning from just being a, a mental concept to a reality that we experience uh, through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would change our hearts today. Um, for those that don't know you as their Savior this morning, Lord, we pray that they would leave here knowing you as their Savior. For those of us that know you as our Savior, Father, we pray that you would transform us again from glory to glory to ever-increasing glory as we turn our eyes towards you and look to behold you. Um, we're here for you this morning, Jesus, and it is a privilege and an honor to worship you and just to be your people. And we love gathering together in your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Hey, you can have a seat. Good morning. If you got your Bibles, grab them. Please go to Jonah chapter 2. Uh, for those of you that are visiting with us this morning or maybe here just to see a friend or family member get baptized, we're so glad that you're worshiping together with us. Um, in summary, what do we believe as a church? Here's what we believe. We believe it's all about Jesus. We believe that he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We believe that he was and is for us all that we could not be for ourselves. Um, and that is the essence of grace. We're going to talk about that this morning. Uh, for those of you also that are visiting, what we've been doing over the last year and a half or so is we've just been on a Bible reading plan as a church. We believe uh, that all power, all transformation comes from the Holy Spirit and the Word of God being mingled together in the hearts of people and that He changes us in that way. And so we want to do everything we can uh, to stay in His Word as much as possible. And uh, over the last couple of weeks, we have been in the book of Jonah. This year, we're just reading one chapter uh, a day, but every day um, throughout the week. And then I talk about it a little bit here on Sunday morning. And this past week was Jonah chapter 2. So again, if you've got your Bibles, please, please go there. I'm actually going to pick it up with the very last verse of chapter 1, uh, verse 17, and then I will read all of chapter 2, which is just 10 verses, and then we will talk about it. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17 says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves, your billows, passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope and steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Would you just bow your heads with me one more time? Father, thanks for the, again for this morning. Pray that you would open the eyes of our heart to see wonderful things from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I said last week, when most people think of Jonah, they think of this part of the story of Jonah right here, Jonah and the whale, or as the, my translation says, the great fish. 
Me and the interns have had some hot debate this past week on whether or not it was a great fish or a whale. I don't really know what the difference is, but some of them, uh, main, mainly Taylor Eaton, um, was very adamant that it's a great fish and not a whale. I don't understand the difference, but anyway. Um, but this is usually what we, what we think about is, is Jonah and the whale. And I want to start off this morning just briefly by addressing a little bit of an issue with this, is that one of the things that skeptics of Christianity and also the Bible will throw at Christians many times is this story right here. And they think that it's absolutely ridiculous that we believe that uh, a man, namely Jonah, could stay alive in the belly of a fish for three days. Okay? And so I've seen, I've seen Christians do all sorts, of things that, all sorts of things that they don't have to do in order to try to answer that question. You know, they try to give like all this scientific proof. And a, there's, there's actually a guy, you can Google this, don't do it now. Okay, I see you. Don't do it now. But you can Google this later. There's actually a guy called the modern-day Jonah that supposedly got like partially uh, swallowed by a whale shark, and then he kind of spit him back up. And so people point to that, and they're like, see, it can happen. And, but, but, but that's totally missing the point. Here's the point. Here's how Jonah stayed alive in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. You ready? I'm going to tell you. Here's how. By the supernatural power of God. It's a miracle. We don't just believe that Jonah was able to stay alive in the belly of the fish for three days and three, three nights. We believe that God raised Jesus from the dead after being dead for three days and three nights. We believe that he spoke to the Red Sea and parted it, and there were walls of water on either side, and the people of Israel walked through, and then he let it come crashing back down and destroyed Pharaoh's army. We serve a supernatural God. That's the answer to the question. And so, Christian, don't get caught up in thinking you need some sort of scientific reason or explanation, uh, some sort of scientific explanation in order to explain a supernatural God. He created everything, and yeah, he put the laws of creation in order, but he himself is not bound by them because he himself made them. Amen? That's the God that we serve. And this is really, 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 really good news and a good starting point for what we want to talk about today, because last week, for those of you that were here, what I talked about is that I believe like kind of the sentence sermon, if you will, for the entire book of Jonah, is that we serve a God who is on a mission to bring mercy through a message spoken by men. We serve a God who is on a mission to bring mercy through a message spoken by men. And I don't know about you, but uh, well, I'm sure all of us at, at some point in our lives have, have, have had different little missions that we've been on little different goals or assignments. Maybe it's losing weight, or maybe it's you know, saving up some money, or maybe it's building something at home. But I don't know about you, I, I accomplish some of my missions, but I don't accomplish all of them. And the reason, usually the reason that I don't accomplish my mission is because I run out of energy, or I run out of money, or I run out of resources, or I just run out of commitment. But God never runs out of anything. He is a supernatural God. And this is really good news because if he's on a mission to bring mercy to those people that do not deserve it, then nothing is going to stop him. Nothing. He's a supernatural God that never grows tired or weary. He is above all. Nothing can stop him. And what we're going to see next week is Jonah finally stop hardening his heart and go and he's going to take this message of mercy that God has given given to him and, and speak it to the Ninevites, but what we see this morning is here God dealing with this prophet himself. And God wants him to understand this mercy that he's going to proclaim to the Ninevites, not just from a mental ascent perspective, not just from a head knowledge, 
but he wants to, him to understand this mercy experientially. And this is probably my biggest burden for us this morning and to be quite honest with you, for our community at large. Because I know that most of us, not everybody, and it's okay if not, but, but most people grow up in church. And, and we've heard the Bible stories. Like I talked last week, we've, we've heard the story of Jonah and the whale, and you know, the little whale was on the felt board, and you know, or maybe we colored it in the coloring book. We know about it. But we have not experientially understood the mercy and the love of God. And that's nothing that we can make happen. It happens by his supernatural power. But I want to be totally clear that that is absolutely his will for your life. He wants to let you know how much he loves you. He doesn't want his mercy just to be something that you know about in your head. But he wants it to be something that you know about in your heart and that has totally transformed you. And so let's just look at this text and we'll kind of unpack the mercy that Jonah is shown. Um, just kind of looking at this um, literarily, I guess. As you look at chapter 2, the majority of chapter 2 is a prayer. There's a lot of prayers in the Bible. A lot of prayers. So it's not all that unique. Okay, so verse 1 of chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Well, a lot of people have prayed, but then from the belly of the fish. That makes it. That makes it totally unique, right? Makes it totally unique. And the prayer kind of falls into two, into two primary parts. Number one, the, he, he's describing his death. There's a description of his death, and then secondly, there's a description of his deliverance. So a description of his death and a description of his deliverance. These are the things that we want to look at in this prayer. So Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you've heard my voice. This is just kind of a summary of everything that happened. But then he begins to describe his death. And again, I know that he didn't die, but he thought that he was going to die. And he describes for us in detail what it was like to be dying, or on the verge of death, drowning specifically. Okay? So in verse 3, Look at, first of all, at just some of the outward perils and dangers, the outward death that he's experiencing. It says, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Now he's praying this once he's rescued from the inside of the fish, but he's praying back to God what his experience had just been as he was drowning in the sea. And uh, I don't know if you guys have ever, um, or if you like swimming, I guess. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, not a, I'm not a real great swimmer. Uh, I tend to just sink. I don't, some people are just more buoyant than others, is my belief. Um, but I tend to just sink. But one thing I can do is just kind of float on my back, okay? So, so if you see me, you know, at the pool or something, like I'm just going to be chilling. You know, that's about the only thing I know how to do. Um, and I don't know, like we just got back from vacation down in Sarasota, and you know we're out at the ocean a little bit. And I don't know if you've ever done that thing where you've you've stayed under the water, just a just a second or two too long, and then you pop back up. And as soon as you come up, you're ready to take a gulp of air, but just right then there just happens to be a wave coming. Do you know what I mean? Have you done that? Yes. Yeah. And again, I know that I'm not a great swimmer, so I don't know why I stay under there at all. But anyway. 
You know, but, but that happens. And I just, I say that because I'm sure many have had that experience, but just, guys, Jonah is out in the middle of the sea. Like, he can't, he can't go back down and hit the bottom and then, you know, pop back up real quick. It's, to him, it's, it's, it's endless. He's out in the middle of nowhere. And I know it's kind of heavy, but the, I think the text is calling us to, you know, try to put ourselves in his spot a little bit. The hopelessness that that would, that that would be. Um, if you look down in verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. When we were down in Sarasota just about a month or so ago, we were down there just as tropical storm slash hurricane. It was a hurricane for just a little bit, so I've been telling everybody that technically we survived a hurricane. Um, but Hurricane Elsa was rolling up through, and so we went out to the ocean the next day after the hurricane or tropical storm had rolled through, and there was all this seaweed okay, that had, it was, so you'd go out to the shore, you'd go into the water a little bit, and then there was just a big section, you know, of maybe like seven to ten feet of just seaweed floating there, and then you could get out beyond that, and so, you know, as we went out um, to try to get beyond, you know, we were kind of like, ugh, you know, don't, not wanting it to touch us to try to get out there to swim. Uh, Little Jordy, our eight-year-old, our youngest one, this was the first time he'd ever been to the ocean. And so he, he just didn't care. Like he was out there just swimming in the seaweed and he'd pop up and there'd be stuff like hanging off his face and, and his goggles and stuff. I want, we were pulling seaweed out of places that, I mean, it was for a long time after we went back home. But anyway, but just, again, I just say that because this is Jonah, this isn't just a fairy tale, this is his experience. The waves are crashing over him. Seaweed has wrapped around his head and he is sinking down. He is dying, but he's not yet dead. So not only do you have these, this physical description of this hopelessness that he was experiencing, but, but there's another layer to it that I think you see here in the text when you understand that, especially to the Hebrew mind, again, we don't really get this because we like the ocean, but to the Hebrew mind, um, and Jonah obviously was a Hebrew, the ocean is a place of deep evil and wickedness and of all that is cursed. And you see this at different places in the Bible. Just really quickly, if I can just do this little, little study with you real quick. Probably one of the, the easiest places to see it is a couple places in the book of Revelation. So in the book of Revelation, when the beast uh, comes on the scene, you know, this Antichrist figure, it says, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea. Okay? And again, that's, that would have made perfect sense to the Hebrew mind because everything evil comes out of the sea. And they weren't sea people. They were, they were farmers. It was an agrarian culture. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, you hear this little verse. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I remember reading that. I was like, oh, man, you know, bummer. Like, there's no... There's not going to be any sea in heaven. Well, it, that, that's not really the point. The point is, is that, that the sea, all that is evil, it is no more. It's all going to be done away with. In Isaiah chapter 57, verse 20, it says, but the wicked are like the tossing sea. In Jude uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 13, it's describing false prophets. And it says, they are like wild waves of the sea. 
And so for, for Jonah here, yes, there's, there's the physical description of his distress in his death and the waves and the seaweed being wrapped around him. But there's a deeper level here too of him being just utterly just away from the presence of the Lord, it would seem. You also see this in, in verse uh, 2, in more your literal translation, some will just say the depths, but it says, he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. Sheol, for, she, Sheol, Sheol, um, Sheol, again to the Hebrews, this was, it was like the place of the dead. It was kind of like uh, what hell or Hades would be, would be to us, although it's used in various ways. And he's, he's saying here that this was his experience, that in every possible way, here's, here's the point of all that I'm trying to say. That by every possible measure, um, it would seem that Jonah was utterly cut off from any hope. And yet he wasn't. And yet he wasn't. Because we serve a God who is supernatural and who is mighty to save and who is on a mission to bring mercy to men who do not deserve it. Amen? That's it. And I don't know what your situation is this morning. I know you're here, and you're not literally in the depths of the sea right now. But maybe you came in here this morning and you feel like the waves are crashing over you and there's seaweed wrapped around your face. And I want to tell you that even now there is still hope. Not because of you, but because of Jesus. Because he's faithful. And he's powerful. And he's mighty to save. There's absolutely nothing that he cannot do. You know, one of the things that God had to bring about in Jonah's life, and God will do this, folks, he, he brings us to the place where we absolutely stop depending on ourselves. I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but like when a crisis situation hits, maybe it's something that's happened to you personally or you hear about a crisis in somebody else's life and your mind just begins to race about all the ways you can maybe fix it. So for example, and I, again, for those of you that call Mercy Hill home, I know I've, I've used this example a lot, but like for me several years ago when I fell off a roof and broke my neck and I found out finally that I was going to have to have surgery and you know, it was a really big deal the, the, uh, and I didn't realize it at first, but um, the surgeon came in and he goes, uh, most people with this break are quadriplegic. And I was like, mm-hmm. and here's the deal is my, my mind just began to, okay, well, like, okay, well, I'm not going to be able to roof anymore. Well, like, maybe I can get this job or maybe this person will hire me and maybe I can pay for this by doing this. And, like, what can, and just all these, do you, do you know what I mean? Like something hits and your mind just begins to race of all the different ways that maybe you can fix it. But I'm telling you guys that God, in his love for us, although we don't realize it at first, he wants, us, he wants to bring us to the place where we can't fix it, where the only answer is his mercy. So like for Jonah, swimming to shore was no longer an option, right? And sometimes things are crashing over us and we're just like, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to swim harder. I can get there. I know I can do it. And God's like, no, you can't. And in his mercy, he will let another wave crash over you. He'll let some more seaweed get wrapped around your face and your hands and your ankles and everywhere else to bring you to the place to help you acknowledge that your salvation does not depend on you, it depends on him. Um, 
There's no circumstance this morning, folks, that Jesus cannot save you from. He is faithful, and he hears the cries of the afflicted and of the brokenhearted and of those who have nothing to offer. And so the second part of Jonah's prayer here, again, a prayer, he's, we have a record of his prayer from inside the belly of the whale. We saw a little bit of the description of his death, but now there's this description, but also a declaration of his deliverance in verses, in verses 6 through 9. And just a couple of things here very, very quickly that I want to point out um, and show you where I'm getting these from in the text. Uh, first of all, that many times God has to bring us to a place of calamity before we gain any sort of clarity. Okay? Now, up until this point, here's what I mean, is up until this point in the story, if you've been tracking with the story of Jonah, you know in chapter 1, he's just, he's just in total rebellion. God says, go this way. He says, no, I'm going this way. And he's just, he, he has a very hard heart. Okay? And God is, God is tracking him down. Um, but what happens here is that like for the first time, the, just these few verses, honestly, because even as you go on over the next couple of weeks, Jonah, he just does not have a great attitude at all. And he seems to harden his heart again. But here in these few verses, verses 6 through 9 of chapter 2, you see this one place where finally Jonah is saying some things that make sense. He's saying some things that make sense. But the reason that he's saying things that finally make sense is because God brought his life right to the very brink of utter destruction. Total calamity. But it was in the calamity that finally he got clarity. Here's, what, here's the way Charles Spurgeon put this. In fact, I believe Spurgeon was referring to this passage uh, when he said this quote. Spurgeon said, Most of the grand truths of God have to be learned by trouble. They must be burned into us with the hot iron of affliction. Otherwise, we shall not truly receive them. No man is competent to judge in matters of the kingdom until first he has been tried, since there are many things to be learned in the depths which we can never know in the heights. We discover many secrets in the caverns of the ocean, which though we had soared to the heaven, we would never have known. If you remember the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, there's this, this, this great little line, it, it, it often gets missed, but in Luke chapter 15, verse 17, the story of the prodigal son, after he's taken the father's inheritance and wasted it, been totally rebellious, just like Jonah was, it says in verse 17, when he came to himself, or I think the NASB puts it, when he came to his senses, but it was when he was eating pods with the pigs, that he finally comes to this. Many times we need calamity in order to, to gain clarity. And God is faithful. He'll bring that about in our life. And I just say that because maybe this morning you've been in a season where things have been chaotic for a long time. And again, I don't know for sure, but I'm just throwing it out there that maybe, maybe, this might be what God's doing in your life. Is that God wants to bring you to a place where you, again, get your eyes rightly fixed upon him. And remember that you can't swim to shore. You can't save yourself. Whatever needs fixed, you're not the one to fix it. You're not the one to fix it. He is. Because he gets all the honor and glory. Secondly, from this passage here, you see that one of the marks of true repentance isn't just that we're remorseful, but that we're thankful. 
This is really important. One of the marks of true repentance isn't just that you're remorseful, but that you're thankful. Okay? Look at verse 9. Jonah says, but with the voice of what? Of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. Now he's saying this while he's still in the belly of the fish. He understands that the fish is actually a means of God's salvation um, from his little uh, distress that he was in. It's the fish itself. And so the fish, is, it's kind of a little bit of a punishment because he's the one that got him into this whole mess. But really the fish in the story is the means that God used to save him from drowning. And it's while he's still in the belly of the fish, before he's back out on land, before everything is perfectly made 100% okay again, he begins to offer thanksgiving to God. Here's, here's one of the things that happens fairly often is I'll, I'll meet with somebody who has, uh, just to put it simply, has kind of got, gotten busted in their sin. So the husband, the wife, they, they, you know, one of them finds something out about one of the other ones, or some guy, you know, family member finds something out. And, and I'm meeting with them, and, and one of the things I'm always trying to gauge is like, are they sorry because they understand that they sinned before an almighty holy God, or are they just sorry because they got caught? right? And here's the thing, we've all, we've all been in that place, okay? It's not just some people. We've all, we've all been there. And, but, one of, but one of the ways to tell, and again, not just for other people, but for your own, for your own life, is are, 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 you, are you sorry, are you remorseful just because things are difficult and you just want to get out of the situation, or maybe just because you got caught in your sin and you're embarrassed or are you remorseful because you understand that God is holy and that you've sinned against him? And if you're remorseful truly because of your sin before an almighty holy God, one of the things that, is, that will accompany your life is thankfulness. You'll be deeply, deeply, deeply thankful. I remember, and again, this is just, it's just my experience um, and just the way it went for me, but in the summer, it was July of 2000, it was about 21 years ago, um, I was sitting in a church service on a Sunday morning after being in a season of not following God, and I knew that I wasn't following God, and sitting in that church service, God overwhelmed me with his word and with his spirit, with his grace, and in that moment, I was aware of two things. And, I, and, these, and these two things, for the first time in my life, I didn't, it was like the first time I held them both together, kind of one in each hand, or together, if you will. And that is, I was so aware of God's holiness and my sinfulness. And at the same time, I was so amazed at how much he loved me. And, and guys, there, there has to be a mingling of those things. Because God is both loving and just. And again, I pray that he would do that miracle in our hearts this morning. But you see this in Jonah's life. So one of the marks of true repentance isn't just that we're remorseful, but that we're thankful. Again, a, another very practical, very simple thing. But there is nowhere, there is nowhere that you can be that God cannot answer your prayers. <laughs> nowhere. No matter what circumstance you find yourself in this morning, if you look at verse 4 and also verse 7, 
Verse 4, he said, then I said, I am driven from your sight. And then he says this little phrase here. He says, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Now, I don't think what this means is that Jonah's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I know I'm going to get out of this. I'm, I'm going to go back to the temple in Jerusalem. But this little phrase, look upon your holy temple, is, is a euphemism that's used several times throughout the scriptures. And it's, it's the idea of people saying, I'm going to turn my eyes towards you in prayer. Not to the earthly temple, but to God in his heavenly temple. Because you'll see again uh, in verse 7, Jonah says, And my prayer came to you in your holy temple. In the heavenly temple. There is no place that you can be that God cannot answer your prayer. I don't care what your circumstance is this morning. No matter what you came in here with, if you will just in your weakness... Acknowledging that you are completely undeserving. Just even whisper a prayer to God. Jonah prayed as the seaweed was, seaweed was wrapped around his face as he was going down into the depths. It wasn't even a verbal outward prayer. Because you can't breathe or talk underwater. But from the depths of the sea, God heard his cry for mercy. If you will just turn to him this morning on the basis of the sacrifice of Christ, I'm telling you, he will hear you. He will hear you. And he will answer. Right on the heels of that, I want to make very clear what I'm saying is that our prayers are not answered on the basis of our merit, but on the abundance of his mercy. And if you hear nothing else I say this morning, let me say that again. Our prayers, not just our prayers, but our salvation, is based not on the basis of our merit, but on the abundance of his mercy. And I think as I say that, most people are going, yeah, that's right, I know that. But do you? But do you? Let me give you real, two quick real practical kind of diagnostic questions to help you think through whether or not you really understand what I'm saying when I say that mercy is unmerited. That he answers not based on anything in us, but on the abundance of his mercy. Do you ever have this internal dialogue? Okay, number one is has somebody ever seen a change that's happened in your life, but your response to them, either outwardly or maybe you've just thought it inwardly, was, yeah, God saved me, God, God changed me. Because, again, we're, we're good Christian folk, right? We know the right words to say, right? Oh, yeah, glory to God, brother, glory to God. But as they say that inwardly, they're going, yeah, God changed me, but, you know, I wasn't as bad as so-and-so. Yeah, God changed me, God saved me, but, you know, I, had, I, 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 didn't, I didn't get into drugs and alcohol like so-and-so. Yeah, God saved me, God changed me, but, you know, I've, I've got, I, my family took me to church growing up. If there's a God changed me or God saved me and then a but behind it, I don't think you understand mercy. Mercy is unmerited. It has nothing to do with you. It flows freely from the throne of God because of the blood of Jesus Christ, nothing else. Second diagnostic question. You see 
the evidence of some sort of grace in someone else's life. And you think, because again, we would never say this one out loud, but you think, man, they don't deserve that. They don't deserve that. We want justice in their life. We want them to pay for what they've done. You think, they don't deserve that. Here's the thing. And and this is the mark of, if you read about the Pharisees in the Gospels, this is what they did all the time. If you look at the evidence of grace in somebody's life and, and you say that, man, they don't deserve that, here's the deal. You're totally right and you're totally wrong at the same time. You're right in the sense that they technically... They don't deserve it. But you're wrong because that is the essence of grace. That is the essence of what mercy is. Mercy is unmerited. One night this past week, um, I sat down with the boys and we read this passage. And one of the questions I just asked them briefly was just, did Jonah deserve to be rescued? Did he deserve it? Or let me, ask you, let me ask it even harsher. Did Jonah deserve to die? Yes. 110% yes. Jonah deserved to die. Why then was he rescued? Because of the mercy of God. The unmerited favor that God freely, supernaturally, powerfully, sovereignly said, I will save you. And brothers and sisters, there is no other reason for your salvation as well. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, it is not because of anything in you that you have been born again. It is because of the free, sovereign grace of God, completely unmerited. And I pray that if you walked in here this morning knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior, but have lost sight of that fact, that right now there would just be a fresh wind of his Holy Spirit that would blow that truth upon your heart again in a fresh and new way. Because if you understand that truth, that there is nothing in us that can merit anything good from God, but it is totally because of his unmerited favor, his free mercy, it should make us want to stand up and shout hallelujah, amen? It is because of what Jesus did on that cross It is because the blood of Christ was enough for all of our sin. Whether it was, again, throughout all of human history, it was Jesus Christ on the cross and his sacrifice on the cross that was enough for Jonah before he came looking back at that, and it's enough for us today, 2,000 years after it, that Jesus Christ really came in real-time space history and he bore the wrath of God upon himself. And it is on the basis of his action, not ours, that we can receive mercy. It's the same power that appointed the great fish to swallow Jonah. It's the same supernatural power that commanded the fish uh, to vomit him out onto dry land. It's the same supernatural power that raised Christ from the dead. It's the same supernatural power that has resurrected the dead hearts of those that are getting baptized here today. And I want to speak to you guys that are getting baptized. But... Again, all of you listening in as well. But especially to those of you that are getting baptized this morning, and I've I've met with each one of you, and and we've talked about this, 
Um, and so I, I know that you get this, but I just want to remind you again that in a little bit when we take you down into the water, we get you back up. You are not declaring. You are not declaring with your act of baptism here today that you have just found a nice little philosophical system to aid you so that you can live your best life now or, or have a little, you know, nice little life improvement plan or that you've just found some nice little you know, principles that will kind of help you live better. But what you're declaring as you get in that tank and go down and come back up is that Jesus Christ has done a miracle in your heart and that though once you were, were a rebellious sinner, you have been made new, that that old man has been crucified and put to death and has been brought up in newness of life with all of your sins washed away forever. And that that miracle that took place in your heart was an act of free, unmerited favor. Because Jesus Christ was a thousand times over the better Jonah. He didn't just descend into the depths of the sea or into the belly of the fish, but he descended into the depths of the grave. And his head was not covered in seaweed. His head was covered in a crown of thorns. And he didn't go down and do that because of his sin. He did it because of ours. And he said in the Gospels, several places, one place in Matthew 12. He said, just as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so the Son of Man will be assigned to this generation. And he said, the Ninevites repented at the preaching of Jonah. Then he said this, I love this little line, but one greater than Jonah is here. Do you acknowledge that this morning? Do you know that? One greater than Jonah has come. His name is Jesus. And salvation is found in no other name than his alone. And that's what Jonah, in the midst of his calamity, finally came to the realization of. Again, the very last line of his prayer, verse 9. He says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Amen? Worship team, you can come up. If you are getting baptized, I want to dismiss you to go back like we talked about I'll meet you over here on the side in just a little bit the rest of you if you would would you just bow your heads with me for just a minute God knows your heart God knows what you're running from this morning and God knows if you're in right relationship with him, in right fellowship with him, declaring his praise this morning. But he knows if you're honoring him with your lips, but your heart is far from him. And I just ask this morning that if you feel distant from God, Sometimes we do just feel that and everything's okay and it's just a lie of the devil. But sometimes the reason we feel distant from God is because we are distant from God. We've hardened our heart and we've run from him. I just want to say to you, stop thinking that you can swim to shore. Stop thinking that you can fix it. Offer your prayer, even right now, if it's just a silent prayer like Jonah's was as he was sinking down to the depths of the sea. 
Look again upon his holy temple. Look away from yourself. Look to his mercy. Look to his grace. Look to the work of Christ. And trust him. Father, I thank you for the privilege of being able to worship you here this morning, both in song and through your word. God, I ask that as we stand now again to sing, I pray that we could do it with sincere and generous hearts, full of thankfulness. Lord, I pray for those that are getting baptized here in just a few minutes, that you would let the peace of God that passes all understanding guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I pray that you would let them know how wide and how long and how high and how deep your love for them is. I just pray that you'd be glorified here again today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please stand with